We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, May the 24th, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend series against the Tennessee Volunteers, the Gamecocks, Drop two of three games in heartbreaking fashion to close out the 2021 regular season. Guys, I'll break down the series in its entirety. We'll talk key takeaways, TSUS series MVP, slap dig of the weekend, who's hot, who's not, and what's next for South Carolina. The Gamecocks put a pin in their regular season. Now begins the 2021 SEC baseball tournament, guys. And I will look ahead, look at the bracket as the Gamecocks officially taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide Tuesday at 2 o'clock in Hoover, Alabama, guys. But we will look at the SEC tournament from a high-level view. We'll go over the bracket. I'll give my brief thoughts on just what it will take for South Carolina to get to the title, what they need to do in regards to the hosting conversation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Great stuff with the SEC tournament upcoming in Hoover. Also, news and notes, your listener questions, and we have a fantastic conversation with Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports. Josh, a national college football personality, does the late kick with Josh Pate as well. We talk all things Gamecocks football. Of course, touch on Shane Beamer, the 2021 football season, all that, much more. Got a packed show here on a Monday, guys, it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
just like that, the regular season has come to a close. Folks, hope you're all doing well. Happy Monday. Hope this show finds you well here on Monday, May the 24th. 2021 whether you're on the commute you're in the office you've got the day off whatever it may be guys hope you're all doing well hope you're staying cool by the way here on this Monday I know the weather this week is taking a turn towards the heat I asked it's delivering we are getting some hot weather this week especially in Columbia I don't know if it's I don't think today but I know the middle of this week we got highs and like almost at a hundred for three straight days. But again, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Happy Monday. Hope you're doing well. Hope you all had a fantastic weekend. And again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Man, it's crazy. Like I've said before, time flies when you're having fun. And as I sit here uh, and we record this show, the last time that we will break down a, a regular season series, the Gamecocks closed up their regular season, 33-20 and 20 overall. 16 and 14 in SEC play guys we're going to break down the series of course but before I get into that I want to take just a quick second and as the game ended on Saturday of course heartbreaking fashion uh as we're going to get into in just a second but as the game ended on Saturday I took a moment after the game to just sit there in Founders Park and really soak it in and really take it in because, hey, we, there might be more baseball at Founders Park this year. We have no idea, right? I, I think South Carolina should host a regional. Like I said, we're going to get to that in just a second. But there might be more baseball. But in case there is not, because it is 50-50 right now, I wanted to sit down and really soak it in. And late Saturday night, this kind of hit me, and it was something I'd been thinking about, but it kind of hit me. And I was like, man, it's just so crazy. Like, I remember sitting in my apartment in Charlotte, you know, when, when the Spurs Up show wasn't even the Spurs Up show yet. It was Armchair South Carolina. Or even before I was doing any of the stuff with TSUS or anything, I remember sitting in my apartment in Charlotte, North Carolina, and watching Carolina baseball getting so fired up and amped up for opening day and all this different stuff and thinking to myself, man, like how cool it would be to because you know I've always gone to the football games right there's only seven home games a year I've been able to get down to Columbia pretty much for the majority of the home games no matter where I've been in my life but I've always thought man like it would be so cool to live in the local area and be able to go catch South Carolina baseball game after game after game go to every single game and just be there in person you know man it's 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 one of those things where like do I have to be at Founders Park to cover South Carolina baseball do I have to be in person to cover games? No, I do not. But I, I just, I love it. I'm a baseball guy, as you all know. And I think being there in person for baseball, it's one of those, I think, when you're covering it and you're talking about it and to really be in the flow of the game, there is a difference in actually being there in person versus watching the sport of baseball on TV. Anyways, I sat there in Founders Park though after the game and was thinking later Saturday night, just, man, like how awesome you know, I used to say to myself how awesome it would be to live in Columbia and be able to go watch Carolina baseball and be there in person every single game. And so I say all that to say this. Thank you. Sincerely, sincerely thank you to Gamecock Nation, the fans, supporters of the Spurs Up show, of me personally, of everything we do in regards to the content, the podcast, the Daily Crow, social media, merch, everything. Because I don't know if you guys realize this or not, 
But this was my first full season, first full baseball season, covering the Yardcocks full-time doing the business because last year was going to be it. And of course it gets taken away from us due to COVID as we all know. And, you know, again, I know I, I I'm big on expressing gratitude and saying thank you to you guys because you guys deserve it. Again, this would not be what it is without you guys, but I want to say that again, I, I really truly hope you can, you can hear it in, in my voice and the way that I'm, I'm saying it. Thank you guys so much. Um, you know, we are so blessed and fortunate, by the way, that we have a fan base that loves baseball, that loves Carolina baseball, that really, really dives deep into it. You know, some fan bases, they're kind of eh, like whatever. They don't really care. You know, not everybody's not every school really gives a damn about baseball. And for me, it's such a treat because I love it so much. And being a baseball guy and being able to cover baseball for a fan base that really, truly loves it and is passionate about it. But thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to you guys. I cannot say it enough. You know, a lot, again, a lot of schools, a lot of fan bases, a lot of media entities, they would fall off during baseball season. Their engagement, their views, their listenership, everything. It would not be nearly what it is in the peak season, that is football and everything else. But you guys made this season, this regular season. I know it's not over. We got postseason ball, but I, I kind of look at this. This is the start of a new season, right? The regular season is in the books for us for this year. And again, I just want to say thank you to you guys because this season covering the Yardcocks was everything I hoped it would be and, and much, much more. I, I mean, you guys were there every single step of the way. Of course, the boys on the field made it a lot of fun for me. And a lot of fun for us as well. This was a really fun team to watch and is a fun team to watch. But you guys, the love and support, man, again, continue to rock with the content, continue to listen and continue to download and continuing to, to share the content, show love to the content. And I, I mean, it, it's just been a blast all season long. So again, thank you all so much for continuing to rock with the content, for, for continuing to support and show love and, and just be there every single step of the way, man. We've been through the ups. We've been through the downs. We've been right in the middle. You know what I mean? So um, I wanted to start this show off on that note. Just, just saying a sincere, sincere thank you to Gamecock Nation because I, I do not take it for granted. I do not take it lightly. You know, again, not every school, not every person that <clears throat> does something similar to what I do, not everyone's fortunate enough to get to cover, you know, a school where they care about baseball and love baseball to the level that South Carolina fans do. And that, that's why South Carolina fans are the greatest fans in the country. And, again, fans of TSUS, man, you, you guys make this thing go. You are the engine that makes the Spurs Up show go. And I truly do appreciate you guys for making this season such a massive success, man. And, again, honestly, you know, I had dreams of what it would be like covering the Yardcocks full-time and going to, you know, every single game. You know, I only missed two games this year, guys. One of them was to go to a Braves game, as you guys recall, and the other one was to send my brother off for the military. So two pretty good excuses. But we basically went to every single game this year, all the post-game reactions, all the all the shows, everything. It's uh, you know, the merchandise, all it just you guys made this season, this regular season, you know, so much more, I get, you know, so much more than I could have ever even imagined it could be. And and for that, I, I just want to say thank you. I, I sincerely truly appreciate it. Um 
it's been a blast. And with that being said, again, thank you, Gamecock Nation. Thank you, TSUS fans. I could spend the entire show just saying thank you because it's 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 almost a bit overwhelming. It's it's incredible. Um, you know, just it's just it's, it's a pure blessing. It, it is a pure blessing. Um, and without you guys' love and support, you know, I, I couldn't cover the team that we all love so much and cover the Yardcocks full time and go to every single game. And so again, I, it's just something I'll never take for granted. But I truly do appreciate it. It's special because I love counting baseball. I'm a baseball guy at heart. I played the game at the college level. And, um, you know, I, I just really appreciate you guys rocking with the man each and every single step of the way. And I, and I hope that if nothing else, um, you know, I, I know not everybody's a baseball person and baseball will never be football and football is its own individual thing, which we love, which we love <clears throat> and we embrace. But I hope if nothing else, you know, I, I made, if, if you were someone that came into the season that was kind of on the fence about baseball, really weren't even a big baseball person, I hope that maybe I made this baseball season enjoyable for you or at least brought entertainment and value into your daily life with this kind of baseball season. So, again, thank you all so much. Thank you, Gamecock Nation. Thank you to the fans, the supporters of TSUS. You guys are the absolute freaking best. And, hey, like I said, it's not over yet. We got the postseason. I can't wait to <clears throat> follow along, continue to cover, and see what this team can do in this postseason as we get this SEC tournament going this week in Hoover. But before we get to that, guys, we got to talk about this Tennessee series. South going to dropping two of three, losing 10 to four on Thursday, winning three to two on Friday night, and then losing Saturday five to four. And you know, as we dive into key takeaways, this, this is a tough one. This is a tough one to talk about. I'll be honest with you because, you know, I gave myself the 24-hour rule. I really thought about recording Saturday immediately after the games, but I was like, you know what? Relax, enjoy the rest of the day, and we'll talk about it on Sunday. And so that's what I'm doing right now. But, man, I got to be honest. It still hurts. It does. It, 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 it hurts. It hurts. And, you know, first things first, Proud of this ball club for battling, continue to fight, you know, played the toughest schedule in the country, played the best teams in the country. Tennessee is for real. They're a legit ball club. I thought it was a very evenly matched series, though, all weekend long. But a series that, you know, had a very, a very similar storyline in both of the games that you lost. And, and that storyline is that one bad inning on Thursday and Saturday killed you. And as I look back at this series again, we can talk about the hitting and the issues there. And I agree, guys, you got to be better. You got to be better with runners in scoring position. You got to be better situationally still, right? This team still has strides to make. It needs to be more consistent. I think with the staff you were going against, though, I, I thought they battled. I, I thought they battled. I really, really did, especially on Saturday. This team battled. They fought and just came up short again. You get the man on second with two outs, or excuse me, with no outs. You had an opportunity. You had three cracks at it. You simply could not drive him in. You know, you hate to see that. That, that, that. that cannot happen. When I look at this series, though, you know, you can see this team is close. And listen, guys, th there's going to be people on social media, on Twitter, that are fire Kingston. This team's terrible. This, that. He's not SEC caliber. Like, if you're still listening to those people, guys, here's the thing. It's easier to change the people you are listening to than to change what people say and think. People that hate Kingston and they think he's terrible and he's not SEC caliber and this, and they just continue. And they, we, we know who they are. They've been trolling all season long. They've gone quiet when South Carolina's won, and they've been extremely vocal and loud when South Carolina's lost, guys. 
I highly suggest you just block mute, do whatever. J- just block it out because they're never going to be satisfied. There is a pocket of South Carolina fans that will not be satisfied. No matter who the coach is, they will not be satisfied until South Carolina gets back to Omaha and wins the national championship. No amount of reasoning that I say or you say or anyone says is going to change their mind. Okay? So just let's just get that out there. The take after this weekend is not fire Mark Kingston. It's not. Anyone with half a brain who is not brainwashed into their own line of thinking with the fire Mark Kingston narrative can see this team is really, really close. They're really close. They are. I mean, that was a coin flip 50-50 type of series over the weekend. You won a game by a run. You lost a game by a run. The other one, hey, your starter can't give up seven earned runs, guys. And what I think is funny is this, too, and I, I, on that note, on that note, Skyler Mead caught a lot of heat this weekend for leaving pitchers in too long, you know, whatever. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing, guys. If you pull your guy, if you, they, they have pulled Thomas Farr early a lot this year, a, a lot. And fans say, oh, you got to leave him in longer. You, you can't take him out yet. Like, trust your guy. Hey. If you pull the guy and the reliever gets shelled, oh, you should have left him in. If you leave him in and you try to let him work his way out of a jam and he gets hit, oh, you should have pulled him. Again, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But when I look at this South Carolina baseball team as a whole, not just even this Tennessee series, but as the whole this season, I think they're very, very close. And again, I told you guys in the preseason, and I pointed this out on social media, I'm going to say it here. If you guys remember, like I said, I highlighted it on social media. I said this team would go 16 and 14 in SEC play, and I'd be damned if they don't hit the exact number 16 and 14. Did I want to be right? No. I wanted to see South Carolina win on Saturday and go 17 and 13, obviously. But 16 and 14 in SEC play, and it's almost kind of eerie how, how much this season went basically exactly as I expected. Guys, it's the SEC. It's a grind. It's an up-and-down battle. You're facing the best teams in the entire country, weekend in, weekend out. And I told you guys in preseason, hey, you go 15 and 15 or better in this league. Hey, you go 16 and 14 in this league. Guys, whether you want to admit it or not, however you're feeling here on this Monday, you go 16 and 14 or better in this league, you have a damn good ball club. You are at minimum one of the top 20 teams in the entire country. There's no question in my mind. You are at minimum one of the top 20 teams in the country. The best baseball is played in the SEC. Let's just put that out there. It is. The best baseball is played in the SEC. Okay? So, I mean, you could honestly just rank the freaking every SEC team in the top 15, basically, except for a couple. I mean, I mean, really, you could. It's the best baseball. There's no, no questioning. There's no, there's no debating. It is. It is. But this ball club is close. I, I really think this team is close. And, and as Mark Kingston pointed out after Saturday, that last hump for this ball club to get over is, is winning a series like this. And, you know, listen, it's disappointing because you had them at home too. And you had a chance. You had opportunities, especially Saturday, to take it on your home field. Hey, Jeff Heinrich leads you off with a double in the ninth. I'm thinking to myself, there's no way we don't at least tie it. This is, this is the script has been written. This is the storybook ending. 
we are looking for from this series. And sometimes stories don't have happy endings. And, and that was just the case. I look at this team, I think you're two or three, I think you're two or three more good, really good hitters. You need that. Two or three more really, really good hitters. And I think you need, you know, as, as, as much as I have defended Thomas Farr, and again, I think Thomas Farr is still a really good pitcher. You know, after the Thursday night game, guys, I'll be totally honest with you. Listen, hindsight's twenty twenty, But what you saw Thursday is why I was not a huge fan of switching around the weekend rotation. And hey, freaking hats off to Brett Carey. Right now, he should be your game one guy. The way he's spinning the baseball, you cannot argue any differently. Until we see otherwise, he should be your game one guy. Okay. So that was a great decision by Mark Kingston and his staff. Give them credit where credit is due, for the love of God, please. Great move by them. But what you saw on Thursday, because I think, you know, to get to my point, I think one of the things this team is kind of lacking right now, and I think you could have next year and a guy like Will Sanders, but they are missing that truly dominant number one guy. Because Thomas Farr, for whatever reason, you know, I think early in the season he was, but he hasn't been that guy late. He just hasn't been that guy. But what you saw on Thursday, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. but that's why I wasn't a huge fan of shuffling the weekend rotation. Because, guys, in the SEC, in game ones, and I know the regular season's over, so this is kind of a moot point now. <clears throat> but in the regular season in the SEC, in game ones, where it is so pivotal to win that first game, teams are so locked in. And, hey, you're facing a bona fide ace on the other side. Stuff matters. Stuff matters, right? And there's only one guy, well, two guys on this South Carolina pitching staff that have good enough stuff to, let's say, have an off night and live to tell the tale. They can go five innings, three earned runs where they don't have their best stuff. And one of those guys is Thomas Farr. The other one is Will Sanders, but he's a true freshman. I wouldn't put him in that spot either. But Thomas Farr is that guy. And so, again, I know Brandon Jordan has pitched really, really good baseball for you this year. He's been incredible. He's pitched some huge games for you. But Thomas Farr is the Friday night guy in my mind. He still is. Bottom line. Anybody out here saying, oh, he's a midweek guy, I, there's no point even arguing with you. You're entitled to your opinion if you think that, if you think he's just terrible and he sucks. By all means, like I said, you're entitled to that opinion. But the guy's probably going to be a top two round pick in the MLB draft. Like that, there's no other way to put it. So, um, and you know that that game one, your your starter gives up seven earned runs, man. You you just don't have a chance. You just simply don't have a chance. And sometimes, like you saw on Friday, you got to go win a game three to two. You got to ride your guy. You got to ride your pitcher, and it hope at some point, hey, the offense is going to come up with that big knock. And you saw it on Friday night with Brady Allen's three-run home. And sometimes you got to win a game three to two like you did on Friday. Sometimes you got to win 11 to 10, but sometimes you got to win three to two. And so maybe I think Will Sanders, I think he can be that guy. But as I look to next season, like you really truly need your game one guy to be established and get back to being a true game one guy. Like, yes, the bats have got to do their thing. You've got to be better situationally. You've got to be better, more consistent. But, you know, look across the SEC, man, at what game one guys do. They shove. They shove, bottom line. 
They pitch like bona fide aces. And if you don't really feel like you have that guy, it's it's just tough. It, it's it's tough and damn near impossible to beat the best competition in the country because every single team that goes to Omaha that is that caliber of a ball club, they have that guy. They have that guy. Think of when South Carolina won back-to-back. You had Blake Cooper. You had Michael Roth. You have those guys, man. You got to have that guy. So, you know, I, I mean, outside of that, though, I mean, listen, I, I thought it was three really, really good competitive ball games. Uh, you know, obviously Thursday got out of, got out of hand late. I thought John Gilreath, quick t- tip of the cap to him, pitched his ass off on, on Thursday, man. That, that's a kid that I think is going to be a real arm we use in the postseason. Um, five innings pitch, four hits, two runs, two earned, one walk, two strikeouts. But against the fourth-ranked team in the country where, think, you know, the game was sort of slipping away when he came in, um, you know, outstanding. I mean, look at the difference, guys. I would say this. Look at the difference on Thursday night. Brandon Jordan, three and two-thirds innings pitch, six hits, seven runs, seven earned. Couldn't even get out of the fourth inning. On the other side, Chad Dallas, seven and two-thirds innings pitch, five hits, four runs, four earned. Brandon Jordan's record dropped to five and five. Chad Dallas's went to nine and one. I mean, that's the difference. You got to have that guy. You got to have that guy. Hell, the one game you won was because you had a guy step up and be that guy. Like I said, go somebody go win conference pitch of the week. Somebody go shove. Somebody take it upon themselves. I will put this team on my back and we'll go win the game based off my arm. Bottom line. That's what Brett Carey did. That's what Brett Carey did. He just battled long enough to, you know, give his offense time to hit the big three-run homer, and the rest is history. The rest is history. But, again, this season went basically exactly how I expected. I mean, 16 and 14 in SEC play, exactly what I called. And, again, I'm not one of these guys like, oh, look at me, I was right. But, But, like, it is crazy how, I guess, you know, just to the record, to the exact way I thought it would go in preseason, it kind of went exactly that way. You know, as I taught many times in the preseason and early in the season, there are tiers in college baseball. And in the SEC, strictly, we'll stick with that. There are tiers, right? There are teams like the Vandys, the Floridas, the Arkansas, even Tennessee now, which I know it's crazy. It's hard to believe Tennessee's that good, but they are, guys. I mean, they are. They finished the regular season 42-14 and 14 and went 20-10 and 10 in the SEC, guys, and won the SEC East. They're that good. They really are. They were that good this year. You go 20-10 and 10 in the SEC, you averaged winning two of three every single weekend. Yeah, you're pretty damn good. But so there's that tier. And then that next tier is where I see South Carolina. And how do you get back to that top tier? Doesn't mean you're a bad ball club. Not by any stretch. It does not mean you are a bad ball club. Quite the opposite. Like I told you guys, I think this is a really, really good baseball team. Really good baseball team. I still feel good about this team. And I feel good about this team in the postseason. That they can make a run. I really do. But, you know, I know you guys get tired of hearing me saying it, but you got to tip your cap to Tennessee. You, you, You just have to. Whether you want to or not, you have to. And simply put, again, I'm hurting, man. I'm hurting. I'm hurting because the opportunity was there. 
Um, you know, you, you couldn't ask for a better start to the inning and ninth inning on, on Saturday. Jeff Heiner gets the double. Man on second, nobody out. And I know a lot of you say, oh, why don't you bunt there? Why? Again, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing with this fan base. If you bunt, hey, what if he doesn't get it down? God, then your fans are fire Kingston because he decided to bunt. I, under, I, I would have I been fine with the bunt. Would have been totally fine with it. You want to get him over to third, one out. Now a fly ball gets him in, you tie the game. I would have been fine with it. But I also understand the reasoning of why they didn't. Hey, he's already in scoring position. A base hit scores him, no matter what. So would you rather trade? Would you rather trade that out and have two shots at it? Or let all three guys swing and have three shots at it? I totally get it, have three shots at it. Again, he's already in scoring position. He's already there. And you've got to be better situationally. Hey, you, you couldn't ask, you know, Joe Satterfield, I thought that was a great moment, the let's go Joe chance. And, you know, I thought that was super cool. I, I thought he was going to be the one to get the knock, man. I was like, man, this, this is just, this, is all, this has all the makings of, of a storybook ending for this kid. But then you have Allen and Eister, man. I, I don't think there's anybody you would have rather had up than those two guys. You're two veterans, you know. You're two veteran guys. And you feel for them what maybe might be their, their last games at Founders Park, which is really sad to think about, honestly. But, you know, I don't know, man. It, it kind of goes back to the, you know, there's not, it's interesting, there's not really one thing from this weekend that I point out and say, oh, you know what, just the situational hitting was bad. Or, you know what, just the arms were bad. Or, you know, this one thing is why we lost. I, there's not really, you know, one thing I look at. Like I told you guys going into the weekend, the little things. And that there were going to be six or seven moments this weekend that were going to determine the ball game. And I, I can think back to them clearly. You know, a couple of the home runs, Lipsius, man, he killed us. He killed us all weekend, Lipsius from Tennessee. You know, a couple of the big home runs they had that were game changers, that were difference makers. You know, the three-run homer on Saturday. Hey, before that, sharp ground ball hit at the middle. Taylor made double play. Goes over Michael Robinson's glove. That was a game changer, guys. I, I, I know it was a tough play. I, I know the ball was scorched. Ask any shortstop, you got to make that play. You, you, in that type of ser series, in that type of situation, you just have to make that play. When you're playing the best teams in the country, it comes down to little moments like that. You have to make those plays. you know. And, of course, George Khalil right now battling injury. We don't know his status. We don't know how long he'll be out. Will he be available this week? I have no idea. But, you know, the first thing I did when, when that ball got through, I turned to my buddy. I said, hey, man, you think George makes that play? I mean, no knock on Michael Robinson, but it's just, you know, it's a fair question. So it was a mixture of things. It was a mixture of things. But, again, you, you can be the negative Nancy, fire Kingston, hit the panic button, all this. I, I understand. Listen, guys, I understand. I want to get to Omaha, too. But to be miserable just to be miserable and to act like we had some terrible season, it's just false. It's a complete fallacy. It's just not true. We had a good year. Did we have a great year? No, we didn't. 
When I look back at this season, do, do I think we missed some opportunities to, to get over this hump and to beat one of these top teams in the country? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Hey, you had Tennessee on the ropes. You had Arkansas on the ropes. You had Mississippi State. Those were all really good chances at home. You know? You had big-time opportunities, man. Hey, Vandy, you were close there, too. But that's all you are right now is close. You're not quite at that next level. But with that being said, I mean, to act like this was some terrible season, and it, it's just bullshit. It, people that are saying that, it's complete BS. And they just want to be negative to be negative. Not every year is going to be 2010 or 2011 or even 2012. People think going to Omaha is a birthright. And guys, nobody has higher expectations for Carolina baseball than me. Nobody. Nobody does. Omaha is the standard. It is the standard every single year. But again, if you realistically looked at this season, the preseason, this roster, which a really good roster, by the way, the projections for the season. And again, maybe that's why I am, you know, I think this is a really good year. It went exactly how I expected. Went exactly how I expected. So again, it, it's kind of tough, you know, to find the words here on this Monday because the, the series was so heartbreaking. Um, God, I remember when Colin Burgess hit that liner to right field that was caught, but as soon as it came off the bat in the bottom of the eighth inning, my heart literally sank into my stomach. I was like, oh, my God, we just tied this ball game up. Just didn't curl enough, and it was, it was hit too good. It was hit too good, and it was caught. And, you know, sometimes you're on the wrong side of it. Sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. And that, that you know, that was sort of the case for Carolina this past weekend. So, again, tip the cap to Tennessee. Give them all the credit. Really, really good ball club. But, honestly, watching us play them, I don't think they're that much better than us hardly at all, to be honest with you. I really don't. I look at the series, and, I mean, it was right there for the taking, man. The series was right there for the taking. And, you know, we just did not execute when we needed to most. But it was there. It was there. So, this team is really, really close, man. Again, you close out SEC play. You close out the regular season. 16 and 14 in conference play. And guys, like I said, if you if you really use your brain and you look at the SEC in the landscape and you look at our schedule and you look at who we played and you look at how we played, as I said in preseason, 500 or better in this league, you are a really, really, really good ball club. You're a really good ball club. When you look at the final SEC standings, where'd you finish? I'm pulling it up now. Where'd you finish? You finished fourth. And guess what? That's exactly where you were picked to finish. And I'm not saying, you know, not saying that that, that should make you feel better. Hey, you were game behind, uh, game from finishing third because Florida finished 17 to 13 and you swept them. You swept them. So, you know, a, a really good ball club. This, this team is close. Mark Kingston is building. I think you're just a couple of pieces away from being at that next year. You really are. But this is still a really, really high-quality ball club. And when it comes to postseason play, guys, the tough schedule you've played at this point is only going to help you in the long run. It's only going to 
you know, it's hardened this team. It's hardened this team. It's only going to help you in the long run. So, again, a tough weekend, a heartbreaking weekend. But now a new season begins, guys. Before we get to that, let's move into TSUS Series MVP, guys. And his big knock is really the reason why you even won one of the three games. Have to give it to Brady Allen. Four for 12 on the weekend, a 333 average, one home run, four RBI, and one walk. But the reason he gets the TSUS Series MVP is because that one home run and that one big knock, literally the difference in the ballgame on Friday. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, man, too. By the way, I, I forgot to mention this. The Rowdy Roosters, 100% capacity at Founders Park. Dude, incredible. Uh, the atmosphere, having that atmosphere return back to Columbia, having that atmosphere return back to Founders Park, it was absolutely incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Um, dude, I, that, that, that Brady Allen home run, like the fact that I was able to get that on video, it was like it, literally I pulled my phone out that pitch, I was like, I feel like something good's about to happen. And just the pandemonium that ensued, beautiful thing. Absolutely beautiful. The Rowdy Roosters were incredible. I want to give you guys a shout-out. You guys made Founders Park one hell of an atmosphere, one hell of an environment. So kudos and good job to you all. Seriously. Seriously. But again, Brady Allen, TSUS Series MVP, 4 for 12, 333 in the weekend, one homer, four RBIs, and one walk. That big knock, like I said, obviously, guys, giving the Gamecocks the W in the Friday game in game two against Tennessee. Let's move to slap dick of the weekend. And, guys, this one's easy for me. It's SEC umpires. Just I've had it with SEC umpires, man. You know, they do this thing in the MLB, at least on Twitter, called the umpire scorecard where it shows the strike zone and it rates the umpires on how they did in each game. God forbid, thank God they don't have that at the college level because Lord, would it be ugly? I mean, the guy Thursday night got to be one of the worst umpires we had all year. And I would say he single-handedly dictated some of that ball game. And just some of the reviews, man, it's just so bad. It's just so bad. And I'm not blaming the umpires for losing the game. I'm not doing that at all. You lost because you lost. But it's just absurd to watch, you know, balls in the other other batter's box being called for a strike. It just, it it dictates the game and it changes the game. It does. It changes the game. So, SEC, you're the best conference in all of sports. You're the best conference, obviously, in college baseball. Can we please get half-decent umpires? Not even saying they got to be the best in college baseball, but half-decent umpires. Is that really asking too much? All right, let's move to who's hot, who's not, guys. The who's hot this week. I'm giving it to the entire Carolina bullpen. The bullpen of the weekend, 11 and a third innings pitched, eight hits, three runs, three earned, three walks and six strikeouts overall. I thought they were really, really good, especially Friday and Saturday to not even give up a run in those two games. Your bullpen gave you a chance um, all weekend long, and I mentioned John Gilreath, what he did out of the bullpen. Julian Bosnick was fantastic. Will Sanders was fantastic. Danny Lloyd was fantastic. And kind of par for the course for those guys. Again, the, the, the South kind of pitching staff, they did their job this season. There's no question. 
But again, Carolina bullpen, you're you're hot. Who's not? And I hate this because I've had him on here like four or five times this year, but Braylon Wimmer, man. I, I don't know what has happened to Braylon Wimmer in the second half of the season. But over the weekend, he went one for 11 with four strikeouts. Four strikeouts. One for 11 and four strikeouts to Braylon Wimmer. Again, I, you know, I, I think he's one of your best, if not your best returning player next year, believe it or not. One of the best for sure. And a guy that started out this season hitting like 390, I don't know, man. I don't know if teams found something on him on film. I know he loves the curveball and the dirt. I don't know what the deal is with Braylon Wimmer. But again, who's not? Braylon Wimmer, one for 11, four strikeouts. What's next for Carolina Baseball? And we're about to dive into that, guys. Of course, the SEC tournament this week in Hoover. Gamecocks will take on the Alabama Crimson Tide Tuesday at 2 o'clock in Hoover. With that being said, guys, let's talk about the SEC baseball tournament, guys. I want to give just a quick, brief overview, a look at the bracket, my thoughts on the SEC tournament as a whole, guys. Of course, I will give you the schedule, the content schedule, the podcast schedule for this week. Tomorrow, I will actually go in-depth and break down this South Carolina Alabama game. We'll have a full game preview on the podcast, same as we do for any midweek game. So that's when you can expect that preview to drop. That will be on tomorrow's show. You know, assuming South Carolina wins, Wednesday will be a game recap plus game preview of the game you have on Wednesday, and we will go so on and so forth through the rest of the week. So just to give you guys an idea, today's show, just kind of a high-level overview of the SEC tournament as a whole. Tomorrow, I will actually break down and preview the Gamecocks game against Alabama. I have a full in-depth preview. That'll be great stuff there on a Tuesday. Uh, but again, that game at 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock first pitch, Eastern time, Tuesday afternoon. And also, we'll have the Daily Crow as normal noon to 1. We will then go live at 1.45 for the live stream watch-along for South Carolina, Alabama. So going to be a very, very busy Tuesday with TSUS. But when you look at the SEC baseball tournament, man, it's crazy. South Carolina Hoover's been a house, house of horrors for the Gamecocks for whatever reason. Um, but I think it sets up well for you. You know, at first, I got a little ahead of myself on Saturday. I thought the Gamecocks are going to be playing LSU. Instead, you draw the 10-seed Alabama, which I think really bodes well for you. I think it's a much, much better matchup. LSU is one of those teams I don't think anybody really wants to play. And LSU will take on Georgia in their first game. But I don't think LSU is a team that really anybody wants to face. Really, really dangerous ball club. Alabama, on the other hand, you know, respect your opponent, all that good stuff. It's been, it's been an interesting season for them. No question. Like I said, much more of a deep dive on Alabama on tomorrow's show. But looking at the bracket, you win that game because, quick reminder, guys, tomorrow, single elimination. So it is win or go home in that game tomorrow. If you're able to win, and I'm going to say when you're able to win. I want to put good vibes out there. When you're able to win, it moves to double elimination starting on Wednesday. And the irony of this past weekend, and the irony of how the bracket sets up, you win this game against Alabama tomorrow, you will have a rematch against the Tennessee Volunteers on Wednesday. Now, here's the positive. 
Here's the positive. You're on the side of the bracket, which is kind of – it is kind of weird how the bracket sets up because you have bracket one and bracket two, and if you keep winning, you kind of flip-flop on sides back and forth. But I guess it's, you know, it's the winner and loser's bracket, basically. So, I mean, you're going to have to go through the best, obviously, to get to the title because on the other side of the bracket, you've got Arkansas. They'll take on the winner of Georgia LSU. They'll take on that winner of Georgia LSU. Let's say you beat Tennessee. You will take on the winner. You will take on the winner of. Let's see. You'll take on the winner of Mississippi State and either Florida and Kentucky. Mississippi State and either Florida or Kentucky. So. I think there's actually a good path, and I think South Carolina can make a run. I think the Gamecocks can make a run in Hoover. Again, I know it's been a house of horrors. you got to take care of business first tomorrow. And the question more so moves to, Chris, how many games do you need to win to lock down a regional host? Do I think the Gamecocks should be a host right now? Absolutely. I do. 16 and 14 in the SEC. You have the toughest schedule in the country. Top 10 RPI. I think it should be no question. But... If you really want to bolster your chances and you really want to help yourself, I think you need to go two and two or better in the SEC tournament. Because you think to yourself, hey, winning that first one's the key. Just win that first game. You got to beat Alabama tomorrow. Win that first game. Get to the double elimination round. Because, yes, you're going to play the Tennessees and the Mississippi State. No kidding, man. You're going to play the best of the best. Welcome to the SEC. That's who you're going to play. If you can find a way to just go two and two or better, I think you do enough to lock down a hosting bid. I do. And I'll be honest with you guys right now, gun to head, if I had to pick a winner of the SEC tournament, I, you know, it's hard to pick against Arkansas. It really is what they've done this season. Hey, even Tennessee, Mississippi State, they're all good options, right? Because your teams who got to buy Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt all have a buy. But, again, tomorrow's show will do much more of a deep dive on Alabama, specifically that game as South Carolina takes on the Crimson Tide, 2 o'clock first pitch on SEC Network in Hoover. But, listen, I think it sets up well. You have to like the matchup you drew. It could have been much, much worse, much tougher with LSU, I believe. But, again, we will dive into that all tomorrow. Going to be a lot of fun. I think South Carolina with their arms, the question now becomes, who will the Gamecocks start in that game tomorrow against Alabama. So, going to be a lot of fun, and I wish I could be down there in Hoover, but we'll be doing the live stream watch-alongs for each and every single game. And, uh, you know, if I had to say right now, I think South Carolina will make a little bit of a run. I just think with the arms you have, this team, like I said, has been hardened from their schedule. You know, I think they will most likely beat Alabama. I feel good about that scenario, and I'll talk more about that tomorrow. But, uh you know, I think the Gamecocks have an opportunity to make a run. If they want to host, if they want to lock down a hosting bid, they're going to have to do so. They're going to have to do so. But again, guys, like I said, tomorrow's show, we will much deeper dive into the South Carolina-Alabama game. Everything you need to know for it, I'll give my prediction, lock everything in, of course. And we'll go from there. Should be a really, really fun week in Hoover, Alabama for the 2021 SEC Baseball Tournament. All right, news and notes real quick. Just one thing that dropped over the weekend, Jaheim Bell on his Instagram. Revealing he might be wearing number zero. 
this upcoming season. The first ever game caught to do so. So really cool stuff, really fun stuff. Jaheim Bell rocking zero. And I think he's going to have a monster year, by the way, for Gamecock football. Um, all right, guys, that's going to do it. Hey, no listener questions today. You guys had no questions. You said, you know what, Chris? We're too sad. We're too depressed. The game hurt me. The game hurt my soul. I don't have any questions for you. So whatever. No listener questions. It's all good. Let's jump straight into our interview, our conversation. Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports. He's also the host of The Late Kick with Josh Pate. Really, really good stuff. Does a great job with 24-7 Sports. He's kind of their national video guy, if you will. Does a lot of great stuff on YouTube, a lot of live streams. We had really good conversation. You know, guys, I like getting these national guys on just to get a different perspective on South Carolina football and the SEC because, you know, you can talk to Carolina fans and they're going to tell you everything you want to hear and, and, oh, this, that. But to get that national look at Shane Beamer and that national look of the Carolina football program and kind of what's going on in Columbia, a lot of great insight and intel from Josh Pate, guys. So, again, it's a conversation I know you're going to enjoy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Guys, Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. I know my dad could use it. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 and Ultra Smooth Package. Hey, you know what they say? Like father, like son, right? The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 and Ultra Smooth Package is perfect for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. Guys, you're going to get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code TSUS at manscaped.com. Guys, again, my dad, he's a hairy SOB, man. He's a hairy SOB. He needs something like this. Anything to make his life easier, my life easier, your life easier when it comes to grooming. Guys, we've all been there, right? We have that manscaping action. If you you cut yourself, it's bleeding, it stinks. It's just no bueno. It, it, it completely ruins the vibe, completely ruins your night, your day, whatever you're doing. Guys, leave that in 2020. No more. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and their brand-new shaving tools just dropped right in time for Father's Day. Guys, the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is now available in the USA and Canada. What makes this waterproof trimmer different from all the other trimmers, you may ask? Well, a couple of things. This 7,000 RPM trimmer features skin-safe technology to keep your balls in check and has helped reduce manscaping accidents around the world. They also have a new multifunction on and off switch that can engage a travel lock created for jet setters. Hey, the Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. And guys, they have additional guard links with sizes one through four to let you trim to your liking. Guys, I love investing in the best new technology and advancements. And I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship and details on the 4.0, guys. They are next level. If you want to get the complete package, the Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package is a three-step kit to help keep your family jewels protected. Step one, the Crop Exfoliator. It's infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on, on and around your groin feeling refreshed, reducing the risk of ingrown hairs by your delicates. Step two, guys, the Crop Gel. See what you're shaving with our unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. And step three, of course, it's then time to shave, guys. The crop shaver was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. Three precision blades include extra wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. All three of these vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free products are included so you know your manhood is in good hands. Guys, stop imagining your dad has it covered because, as we all know, he probably does. I know mine does. Okay? This is definitely going to be 
a Father's Day gift for him. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TSUS at manscaped.com. Again, guys, 20% off plus free shipping. Go there right now with promo code TSUS at manscaped.com, guys. Again, it's dad bod season. Time to get smooth. This is the perfect package for you and your dads. Perfect package. Guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you so much. Enjoy this conversation with Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, guys, he's a national college football analyst, host of the Late Kick with Josh Pate, guys. Josh Pate, a 247, or excuse me, 247 sports, as we just clarified. Josh, see, it's a bad habit, man. I've been saying 247 sports my entire life. Now you come to find out it's 247 sports. So for those people wondering, 247 sports. But again, the Late Kick with Josh Pate he does a fantastic job with the video content. He's got his live stream. Josh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's every Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, I believe. But I see you all over YouTube, obviously. Social media is on Twitter. He's on Instagram. Does fantastic work for those guys. So again, Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports and the Late Kick with Josh Pate. Josh, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me on. We we vary. So it's as hard as it is to get the name 24-7 right. And trust me, I've been where you are on that. The schedule for Late Kick goes Sunday, Thursday during the, well, I don't use the word offseason, but during what others would call the offseason, Sunday, Thursday, and then during the season, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. Gotcha, got. Like you said, there is no all season. I love seeing that on your uh, your social media feeds where you put the X over the O. Like there really is no all season when it comes to college football, and we obviously see that. Especially, I think the transfer portal and the different signing dates has added a different layer to that. But Josh, I want to start with this because, of course, everybody wants to talk right now about Shane Beamer and the upcoming 2021 season. But I want to backtrack and go back a little bit because from your chair, where you sit, being a national college football analyst, you know, this time last year. Life was very, very much different, right? We were all trying to navigate and figure out life in the midst of a pandemic, if you will. And we were all still pretty hopeful that college football season was going to happen. We just weren't sure what it was going to look like. But one of the things, one of the narratives that I'm sure I know you saw and one of the things that kept building was, okay, this is going to be a mulligan year. No coaches are going to get fired just due to the pandemic and the weirdness of the season and the, the economic ramifications, the financial strains. Everyone is safe. This is going to be a mulligan. Well, what we saw happen in the 2020 season was anything but that. And, of course, we're talking South Carolina. Will Muschamp gets canned. Jeremy Pruitt is gone. Gus Malzahn. Derek Mason. That one really surprised me. I'll ask you, what did you think of that narrative over the summer? Because I think it's really easy, Josh, and you know this. It's really easy to say things in June, July, even early August. But when you get in the heat of battle and the emotions start running and these SEC fan bases, they're all so passionate. When you get in the middle of it, it's a lot harder to sit there if you get your brains beat in and you're two and seven or whatever your record is and say, oh, well, this season's a mulligan. What did you think of that narrative then during the summer? And were you surprised to see so many schools pull the trigger last season on head coaches? I never thought there was an ounce of validity to it. I want to say what you just basically summarized could be a copy paste of the transcript of one of the videos I did in, I want to say May. It was probably around this time of year. And that's, that's essentially the message I tried to convey. It's, it's kind of like preview magazine season. Like it's one thing to say these big overarching statements of, well, this offensive lineman's going to determine, dude, it comes down to micro, it comes down to microseconds and inches, the swings of any given game. And so like, 
I looked at that and I said, it's so easy to say this, but some of you are in a fan base. Like, a, let's say you're a South Carolina fan in May. You're saying this stuff and you will be the exact one. I'm not faulting you. I'm just saying this is reality. You'll be the exact one when you get into November saying, no, man, screw this pandemic or not. We got to get this guy out of here. But I'll tell you the other reason where rubber really met road um, that that 99 percent of us, and I'm going to include myself here, don't understand. These buyouts are, are more often than not privately funded. OK, that means they're coming from the donor class rather than the actual coffers of the university. So while everyone was, I think, erroneously looking at how there would be big cuts in athletic department revenue, which was true, that wasn't what was going to impact this. And you know as well as I do, anyone who pays attention to financials, that 1% we're talking about, they do great in those periods where maybe the 99% don't do so great. They just, they have the collateral to be able to benefit from that. And if those are the folks that are footing the bill for those buyouts, if anything, they're sitting there with a little bit more money than they normally have. So it was never going to stop them. I think the best example was Derek Mason at Vanderbilt. De Derek Mason probably survives if it's a normal year. It probably hurt him that it was a pandemic year. So yeah, I didn't think, I thought that was faulty logic. I think one of the benefits people in our industry have is very few worry about having screenshots of their statements taken. It's not like a coach, you know, coaches get called out for all the errors they make. Well, ironically, the crowd that gets to call them out doesn't get called out. I was, uh, and I'm always worried about that. So I try and be careful this time of year because I know someone's out there recording as they should be. I don't mind that at all. Mics are always hot, Josh. You know, that's how it is in the business. Uh, moving into you know, specifically South, the South Carolina side of things. They make the move. They pull the trigger on Will Muschamp. And like you said, the people behind closed doors, uh, the private funding, if you will, you know, people, what they don't realize is these boosters, they are fans just like everybody else, just with money and influence. That's the only difference. But they are fans at the end of the day. And uh, they made the move, you know, obviously after the three-game stretch, giving up 159 points over a three-week stretch. And after the Ole Miss game, and especially the Texas A&M prior game, you know, prior to that, it, it was just obvious that a change needed to be made. I, I talk about that. Were you surprised the Gamecocks pulled the trigger when they did? And then the coaching search was on. I know you've talked a lot on your show, Josh, about fit. And, and we both know South Carolina is a very unique job. It's a tough job. There are a lot of challenges. It's not for everybody. Your thoughts when South Carolina pulled the trigger on Will Muschamp and then what type of fit you think South Carolina at that moment needed to go after? When they pulled the trigger, I thought – my, my opinion was if they were going to make this decision, make it as quickly as possible. And I thought Carolina viewed this particular cycle as an inflection point. Mm -hmm. And what I meant by that, and kind of thinking back, it comes back to me pretty vividly. I remember when they made the move, and there were rumors, of course, a couple of days beforehand, so it wasn't a shock to those close to the situation when it actually happened. But I remember thinking, you know, independent of whether I think they should have done this or shouldn't have done this, I don't think it was some big controversial move. There was certainly, it was certainly warranted in their mind, but what they did is they got themselves to the front of a line that they otherwise probably would never be at the front of. And that's just the general hiring market. Mm -hmm. So they looked around and I envisioned however big that room was, however many people were in that room. I picture them saying, we can either wait and drag our feet on this and put off the inevitable and then fire him in a normal year where there may be six or seven programs of higher stature in line to hire a new coach, or we can roll the dice here, do what we know needs to be done anyway, clean break, but we can also enter the job market and we can count on maybe the fact that 
some of these other programs, let's just say Southern Cal, let's say in a normal year, they'd fire Helton, but they're not going to fire him. Who knows how many guys we could have access to that in a normal cycle, we wouldn't have access to. Okay. So that was my initial thought, but then they zeroed in on Shane Beamer. I don't think either one of us are under the misguided notion that Southern Cal open or not would have gone after Shane Beamer, but that doesn't mean he's not a good hire. What it means. And I circle back to what you just mentioned is the cultural fit in college football is paramount. It's everything does not matter at all in the NFL pro sports are pro sports. If you make it with the jets, you can make it with the chargers, but in college football, the right head coach for South Carolina may be oil and water at the university of Washington, for example. And I think Sam Pittman is the model on this. Jeff Collins, if, if he continues on a good trajectory at, at Georgia Tech and turns that around, he'll be another model of this. The guys that when you plug them in on day one, they're not having to come in and learn anything. You remember when Petrino got hired at Arkansas, watching him trying to woo pig suey, one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen in my life. It wasn't a culture fit. Now, the guy knows football, so he still won a little bit there. But watching Shane Beamer, when he comes into South Carolina, you don't worry about culture fit. You don't worry about whether he gets it. And you don't worry about whether he loves it. Now, here's the – that's the short-term benefit. The long-term benefit is if he ends up working out, if it ends up being the right hire, and I know history will judge that and whatnot, here's the added benefit of finding the right cultural fit. The obvious is immediate. But the long-term is if he were to be the right fit, Whereas normally you'd worry about a bigger job coming and snatching him up. Shane Beamer could be one of the few guys in America that legitimately views South Carolina as a tier one job to him. It's Ohio state to him. It's Alabama because he is woven into the fabric and he gets it. And he's a cultural fit. Pittman could be the same way at Arkansas. So that's how I think about coaching hires instead of just this blanket you know, let me give it a grade. Well, it's in the NFL, you can do that. In college, it's a lot more complex than that, which is one of 47 reasons why I love the college game more. Mm. Josh, I, Josh, I want to switch gears a little bit, get your take on this, because you talk about the tier where the South kind of job falls. Obviously, it's not a tier one job. It's not an Ohio State. And to some people, it might be, but realistically, it's not. And I just want to, you know, the question now shifts from Shane Beamer has gotten the job. Now he is the head football coach to – expectations and Shane Beamer was there in 2010 when South kind of went to the SEC title game right he's seen South kind of football at its best but you and I both and I think it's funny because I live in the social media world I know you do as well but I, I live in the social media world you live in the message board world so we both see fans and you see fans of all teams everybody thinks their team should be winning a national championship everybody thinks their team should be winning the conference and if they don't get that within a three four or five year span coaches don't last much longer than that these days. They're just getting paid too much money. But I try to be realistic and realistic when I talk to people about the expectations of the football program and where I think Shane Beamer and really any coach, but Shane Beamer specifically now can take this football program. And I think Gamecock fans do have realistic expectations, but sometimes those expectations get a little overboard because of your neighbor's up at Clemson and Georgia and what they're doing, and especially the Clemson thing. You talk about the models in college football, and fans are looking at Dabo Sweeney and what he's done and this CEO type of coach, if you will, and what he's built up there. And, you know, of course, it's, hey, if they can do it, why can't we do it? And I feel that to a degree as well. But I think, Josh, what Shane Beamer can do and what I think South kind of football can be, and I'd love to get your take on this again as a national guy, I think the Gamecocks, realistically, because you and I both agree, there's only four or five, maybe six teams every year that have a realistic shot to win the national championship. That's just a fact. 
There's only five or six that can really do it. The rest of the teams are fighting for nice bowl games. That, that's just a fact of college football. But I think South Carolina, realistically, year in, year out, can be a program that, say, wins eight to nine games a year, and every three or four years, maybe two or three, but realistically, every three or four years, maybe you have the right quarterback. You have a veteran team. Your, your schedule breaks right for you. Maybe the East is down or whatever it may be. Every three or four years, you can realistically compete for the SEC East Championship and the SEC Championship, which, of course, would get you in playoff conversation every three to four years. Now, I understand, Josh, history and tradition or lack thereof does not say that is reasonable. That's realistic. When you look at facilities, you look at fan support, you look at you know the talent around in the Southeast, the recruiting base, if you will, and Shane Beamer being back in town. Again, he was there and saw it at its best, and that cultural fit, like I said, again, that's a lot of ifs, and there's a lot of things that have to work out. But I think South Carolina football can get to that level and can build that tradition, right, Josh? Tradition has to start somewhere. And I know you talked about that on your show. Give me your thoughts as a national guy, because I know the national view of South Carolina football, it's a very mixed bag, and it's not the brightest. Let's just call it for what it is. It's not the brightest amongst a lot of people. What do you think of my analysis there, and how do you view the South Carolina football program in regards to what it can be? This is a very important context, because what you said there is what it can be. A lot of people get hung up on defining what can be as what has been. And sometimes that's true, but it doesn't have to be. It's not because it has to be. If something continues, it's because the factors that are still in place are going to produce the same results you've always gotten. Listen, I have I stumble upon about two or three smart sounding quotes per year. That's about my average. And one of the best ones that I had, and I, still, I use it at every turn now, I use it when I'm talking about cornbread recipe, if I can, is these folks who get hung up on history and tradition and Carolina can't be this because they haven't been that. And I, I, I may have even been on Keith's podcast. I can't remember where I was, but I said, essentially, you're talking about history so much. You got to make history to have history. There's only one way to get it. At some point, no one had history and tradition. So how in the world did they get it? Obviously, if everyone who has it now at some point didn't have it, the limiting factor wasn't the history. If you had to have it, no one would ever have it. That's one of those great paradoxes that makes your head hurt if you think about it. But as it relates to Carolina, I, I know no one likes to hear the name Clemson, but if we take out Clemson, remove the tiger paw, just look at the model. My question to anyone who says it can't happen is how do they do it? There's no advantage Clemson has. There's no big monetary advantage. There's no big facility advantage. There's nothing baked in at Clemson that you can't have at Carolina. I understand fan bases would disagree, but they're emotionally attached. So you ask me as a national guy just flying over. That's how I think about that. Now, there is an advantage that you have a softer path in the ACC. But at the same time, when Clemson's gone up against the big boys, they've more than held their own. So it's not like they're inferior just skating by. So how does that happen there? I'm going to tell you exactly how it happens. Number one, they made a very off-the-radar hire, which is very similar to what Carolina did with Beamer. So let's hope that that plays out at least fractionally to the degree that Dabo ended up playing out. But here's really what it comes down to. In this day and age, the name Braden Davis is as important in this equation as any name, possibly including Shane Beamer, because I think revisionist history looks back on what Dabo did at Carolina, and it's they hired him, and then he started winning titles. Now folks closer to it understand now, that ain't the way it happened. And there were, there were some years where they thought they had arrived and then got just splattered all over the field a couple of times. Mm. But what happened was they had a kid named Taj Boyd there, and he was a very solid quarterback. But it wasn't until that Deshaun Watson kid comes in that all of a sudden Clemson goes from being this nice regional story 
to, oh, my goodness, they're going to the national title game? Oh, they almost beat Bama. Next year, oh, they did beat Bama. Well, then a kid like Trevor Lawrence is watching. And then the kid like DJ Uyangle is watching him. What happens is if you get the quarterback dominoes to fall, it takes one. you got to have a great one. you got to hit a grand slam on one. It's got to be good evaluation and development. But if Braden Davis, let's just say, is the guy that they need, is the fit, when he comes in, wide receivers watch that, running backs, all the, all the big players, defense and offense, want to play with a good quarterback. The key is as simple as getting quarterback right. It sounds so simple. I know it's much more complex, but if Shane Beamer does nothing more than wins the fan base emotionally and gets quarterback right, he will have kicked a snowball downhill that I don't even think the most optimistic of Carolina fans could imagine, well, at least what it leads to, could imagine, because it's very hard to picture that because you hadn't seen it, uh, at least in a short generation, you haven't seen it. If they get that right, I know Georgia's there. I know Florida's there. I know all that. But listen, you don't look at it. You look at it very much in the abstract. You just worry about yourself because that's really all you control anyway. If you get quarterback right, and the rest of the recruiting apparatus works itself out, which it absolutely would, all the rest of that stuff just ends up taking care of itself. And then you're floating. I agree with your assessment. In any given year, this program should be able to float at a nine-win-per-year caliber. Any given year, who knows what the balance of the ball does, but that's the caliber program it could be. And I think at its best, it's more than a once-every-four-year contender for the conference title. I think at Carolina's best, it's a once-every-other or once-to-every-three-year type contender of course that's over a thousand simulations and whatnot but yeah if you get quarterback figured out man it'd be amazing I think people would be very amazed I think some jaws would be on the ground at what could be possible there if you got the right culture fitted head coach and that head coach also gets quarterback figured out a lot of other stuff starts rolling simultaneously yeah Josh if you got a quarterback you got a chance and, and that'll be the case with South Carolina this year Luke Doty looking like he'll be QB1 obviously Jason Brown the big grad transfer EJ Jenkins following him as well and of course Josh you know fans don't overreact to spring games right that's just not a thing they do of course uh, <laughs> and I told fans going to the South Carolina spring game hey take it with a grain of salt of course Jason Brown goes out there throws a couple of touchdowns and hey it's good quarterback battle a position battle I think is a good thing iron sharpens iron all of those those mantras we all know but it looks like I think and I, I don't know what your take is is, but I think Luke Doty is going to be QB1. I, I want to get your take specifically offensively as we look ahead of this 2021 season because he brings in Marcus Satterfield. And that was one of the things, Josh, that fans were sold on when Shane Beamer got the hire. He's going to bring in an all-star staff. And I think fans were left, you know, call it for what it is, a little underwhelmed. And I'm sure, you, again, you saw it on the message boards, the reactions. If you were, People were like, who's Clayton White? Who's Marcus Satterfield? But if you take a deep dive at Marcus Satterfield, his background has worked with Joe Brady, and then you factor in Shane Beamer, has worked with Lincoln Riley, bringing that Oklahoma style, if you will. Talk about Luke Doty. Talk about the Satterfield offense and Shane Beamer's influence. What are you expecting from the Gamecocks offensively this season? An offense that looks like it's probably going to revolve around four returning offensive line starters and a really powerful run game led by the two-headed monster that is Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd. Yeah, here's when I'll judge Beamer's coaching staff. I'll judge it about a year from now. So what I want to do is see him get through the first full cycle. It, it, there was a fascinating study. I don't have it here uh, off the top of my head, but we did the 20, at 24-7, we did this, uh, I think this time last year, of looking at coaches when they come in and then they hire their staff, how much retention is there over the span of one year. And it turns out about 50% of staffs overturn after one year. What that's, in, what that's indicative of, 
is a guy comes in, there's never a good time to make hires, first off, that there isn't this three-month period where everyone sits in a cryo chamber until they come get selected. Everyone's on the move. It's never a good time to try and pluck coaches. So you do what you can. You're, you're trying to do a million different things when you get hired in the period of time that Shane Beamer did. Point is, give me a look at next year. And let me see how much of this staff is retained because it could be that we're up in arms a lot about guys that aren't even going to be here in 12 months. Mm -hmm. So give me a year from now and let me see that staff. But also, I'm very interested to see – you were talking about offensive philosophy this year. It, it, it really comes down to the personnel you have. It's one thing to talk about what you want to do. Well, it's another thing to talk about what you're able to do. And so I really wonder – I feel the same way about, for example, Brian Harson at Auburn. Brian Harson at Auburn has zero legitimate wide receiver threats. He could want to go five wide and go 80-20 pass-run ratio for all I know. He can't do it this year. Yep. And at, at Carolina, like Luke Doty, I know that they were as pleased as they probably could be with him throughout the spring. They felt like he got to jump on folks. I, I agree with you. I think he's going to be the starter there. But be that as it may, whoever's under center, I really wonder if the coaching staff we see this year and also the style of offense we see this year is a true indication of what they want to be long-term. Because I get the sense that let's just say everything works out. And in 2027, Shane Beamer's still there and Carolina's a winning program consistently. I almost wonder if we look back on 2021 and we say, man, in retrospect, you know, watching that team, ooh, they, they middled around. They won this game they weren't supposed to. They lost that game they weren't supposed to. But look at this offense. It doesn't look anything like what we're doing now. And certainly the personnel doesn't look anything like what we have now. And remember these coaches? I don't even remember some of their names. I know we're day-to-day. -day. I know we're living on ground level. I do it the same as you guys do. But I just want you to try. There's this P word. I use it sometimes. Perspective. I almost whisper it. But when we try and maintain it, it's just funny what time can do. It only moves one day at a time. I get it. But when you look back or you try and look ahead, that's the hardest thing to do. You're trying to look ahead at what could be down the road. Some of the stuff that seems so consequential right now, it could be just this footnote and this afterthought, and it could not even be a precursor of what's to come. Josh, perspective, my favorite word in the English language. I love hearing you bring that up. Let's move into this 2021 season, Josh, and expectations, right? We're getting in a talking season. You mentioned the preseason magazine season. People are going to start making predictions and analyzing this upcoming year. We're going to be breaking this thing down for the next couple of months, right? There is no offseason, like you say. And, you know, when I look at this first year, for me personally, Josh, I think – Six and six overall record is a very achievable goal, and I think it is a realistic expectation. But I'll be honest with you, Josh, as much as I want to win games as a fan, the record is kind of secondary for me. I I'm really looking forward to this year and want to see the culture ingrained, the foundation laid, if you will. I want to see a well-coached football team, a disciplined football team, a team you know that pats each other on the butt and is fired up to play and does things the right way because – once I believe, once you get a well-coached football team and you get the culture ingrained, like you mentioned with Braden Davis, now it's about going and getting big-time ball players. You know, coaches lose games, players win them, right? That's the old adage, if you will. What are you looking for? What do you think South Carolina fans should be looking for from Shane Beamer's first season? And his overall record-wise, again, I'm sure you probably haven't done your deep dive as far as giving predictions and going on record and everything, but what do you think is a reasonable record? Again, I, I think this team is right around that five and seven, six and six mark. It's very eerily similar to Will Muschamp's first year, where I think, again, if you can get to six and six, you've done your job. You've had a really successful campaign. But what are you going to be looking for from this first year? And overall, record wise, what do you think are realistic expectations? 
just eyeballing it, and that's all I've done at this point. I think six and six is fair. That's that's a place to look at as sort of a line of demarcation. I'm also you know, not throwing babies off seven-story buildings if they finish five and seven. What I really want to do, uh, I look at the quarterback position, and then I zoom it out just team-wide. Could I really look back, whether they go five and seven or seven and six, can I look back in December when we're assessing things, hopefully before a bowl game, and say to myself, this team was a lot better in November than it was when it took field in September. This quarterback, Luke Doty, was a lot better in November than what I saw when they took the field in September. If you can say that, you've had a successful season. I'm just telling you, you have. The record may not bear it out, but you also have to understand this is not an apples-to-apples comparison. You're not going to Sanford Stadium in a pick game against Georgia. You're going to be a double-digit underdog. So if you go in there and lose 30-21 to 21, and you have a really good show and you force two turnovers, finish plus in the margin there, and, I mean, you, you don't just get physically manhandled, that's a huge win. And it gives you something to build on. That's all I want to be looking at. I did the same thing or had the same thought with a team like Florida State last year. You know, Norvell came in and what I thought was the no-win situation. I'm not comparing. This is not my apples-to-apples comparison. But I remember doing a radio show down. It was either in Jacksonville or Tallahassee. I know that they love when they get those towns mixed up. But it was down in one of those towns. And, and there was a little bit of a contentious back and forth with the host. Because he just wanted a prediction. He said, you are what your record says you are. It's always been BS when people say that in college. Yeah. Again, that's taken a pro, you know, come to think of it, it was probably a Jaguars beat writer. Because that is a pro sports mentality, and yeah. it's absolutely mm-hmm. true. The margins are so razor thin in pro sports. You are what your record says you are. You're not what your record says you are exclusively in college football. I mean, I had, I, I watched, I watched G5 teams last year end up being in the playoff conversation playing a schedule that Carolina probably goes 10 and two against last year. So no, you're not always what your record says you are. My eyeballs though, will pretty readily tell me what you are. And that's independent of what could be going on behind the scenes, but I'm looking at Carolina and I'm just wondering, you know, let's say they go six and six. Uh, Here's, here's my question. Would you rather be six and six, but all your six losses, four of them are blowouts, or would you rather be five and seven and have not lost one game by more than one possession? Like what, what's better? Cause we're not talking about contending for the sec this year. So if we're trying to build something, what's better. That's why I don't, I don't ever think in may, even if I could rub a little magic eight ball here, some would call that my forehead, but if I could rub that <laughs> thing and I could say, here's the record, I still don't really think I've learned anything about the team other than the fact that I'll be able to make money at the betting window, knowing the record, but, I still don't know what that's going to look like. So I'm just looking for progression. That's another P word we could talk about today. Progression. That's what I want to see. Yeah, progress for sure. Josh, you've been gracious with your time, man. It's been awesome. I'm going to get you out of here. Last thing, though, on a separate note, on a different note, because I've heard you talk a lot about the college football playoff model and expansion and how you are against it. And listen, I'm totally fine. I'm not going to ask you to open up that can of worms because we could literally spend an entire excuse me, an entire other show debating that and breaking that down, whatever your thoughts and opinions on that. But I want to ask you this question because I grew up with my family going to a condo in Beach Mountain, South Carolina, not sure if you're, or Beach Mountain, North Carolina, not sure if you're familiar with that up next to Sugar Mountain, about 30 minutes or so down the road from Boone, North Carolina. So I grew sort of a soft spot, if you will, and me and my grandfather would sit when we weren't watching South Carolina. We would watch Appalachian State football. And people remember Armani Edwards and those teams winning three straight national titles. And I remember when App State made the jump to this level, right? I was like, that's a terrible decision. I understand the financials. I understand the exposure, whatever. 
But Appalachian State will never have that tradition again. Same with Georgia Southern. They will never win a national championship ever again because, you know what, you can say Coastal and Liberty and App State and Georgia Southern, they're all fighting for the same prize that Alabama is. That's just BS. It's just not true. Josh, why can we not get a group of five playoff? And I know you're on board with this because I've heard your commentary before, but why is this rocket science to some people? Like, I feel like this is so common sense. It'd be so easy. Give the group of five their own playoff. Can we please stop pretending like these group of five teams are competing for the same exact trophy and title that Bama and Ohio State and Clemson and Georgia are competing for? It's just pure nonsense and lunacy. Well, the short answer is we're not running a nonprofit, so that's the reason. But independent, if we're just talking competitively, like, of course, I'm on board with this. And what what aggravates me to no end is when we enter this conversation, it forces me to take a stance that sounds like I'm anti-G5, like I've got it tattooed on my lower back or something. And that's not the case at all. Dude, I love watching those G5 games. Mm. Here's how I equate it. And understand the context. I'm going to say this slowly because even if I say it slowly, I know someone's going to bastardize the quote. But here's how I think about it. The same exact way you and I were sitting here talking about how you can't be comparing major college football to the NFL. I also believe it's, it's ludicrous to be comparing the G5 to the highest levels of FBS. Now, that doesn't mean there's not overlap. I, I could take Cincinnati's team last year, and they're probably better than 70% of the FBS just as is on the surface or better. So I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is we look at the product at the G5 level, and we look at the strength of schedule on average that you're playing. And it's, it's, we are actually pretending that Akron and Alabama exist on the same plane. It's completely anyone. If, if the whole alien deal right now is true and they do exist and one of them drops on earth, the first thing I want to ask, you guys can get all your other extraterrestrial stuff out of the way. The thing I want to ask is, could you please look at this and tell me if it makes sense to you? You have no bias whatsoever. Could you please tell me if this makes sense? And in whatever language they speak, they'll say, no, no, it doesn't. And no, he's right. Okay. So I'm pro alien on this. No, it doesn't make sense. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bluster from the powers that be in G5. And I know it's marketing. And I think I'd probably do the same thing. Like if I were the AD at central Florida, Danny white was the AD down there who, you know, kind of ran his mouth a lot publicly about how we deserve a shot. We deserve a shot. Well, they never wanted a shot really. What they wanted was they wanted to be able to hang that, that national championship banner in their stadium because it was brilliant marketing for them. But what would happen is if they were to ever create that G5 playoff, they would have to self-sustain. If, if the Power Five conferences did not subsidize them, they'd have to sustain themselves. And they're petrified that the product wouldn't be attractive enough to sustain itself. Okay, That's really what it comes down to. They want to seat at that table to where they get some bleed off of that Power Five money and that bowl contract money. And I get it and I understand I would just have a lot more respect for those types if they'd look me in the eye and say, it's about the money. If you'd look me in the eye and say that, I could at least respect it. But when you try and argue undefeated is undefeated, I can't respect that because, of course, it's not. Yeah, I agree with you 110%, Josh. Josh, it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, guys, go check out Josh Pate at 24-7 Sports, host of The Late Kick with Josh Pate. Josh, truly appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, my friend, let's do it again soon for sure. Anytime, brother. I appreciate it. Absolutely. He's Josh Pate. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on episode of the Spurs Up Show.
everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.